Round one. Here we go. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to F1M Review episode 4 and the hour where we look back at round 1 of the 2022 F1 season, the Bahrain Grand Prix and when we look forward to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix which is coming this weekend, only in a few days if you're listening on Wednesday when this is going live on River Radio. Uh, join us as well and thank you if you're uh, tuning in via your preferred podcast provider, be it Apple, Spotify, Podfellow and all the rest. I'm Tom. I'm Angus. I'm Tristan. And ladies and gentlemen, round one saw Ferrari, the grand old team of Formula One, score a 1-2. They qualified with Leclerc in first, Max in second, you had Sainz in third, Perez in fourth, Lewis Hamilton in fifth. But while we were saying so often last episode, oh, be very careful, be very careful, testing isn't truly reflective. In qualifying, it very much translated from Bahrain testing to what we had, but how they finished, of course was something very different indeed. As I say, a 1-2 for Ferrari the first time since Singapore 2019. Lewis Hamilton getting on the uh, final step of the podium there in third place. George Russell in fifth. And one Kevin Magnussen in fifth place. A man who's not driven a Formula 1 car in 14 or 15 months, says Gunter Steiner, his team principal, comes back in there and scores one of his highest ever points finishes since being in the sport entirely. What were our thoughts then about round one of the uh, 2022 season? And um, do we feel we've got a real fight in our hands now? I'll start by saying... I want to distance myself from the quote that I thought Kevin Magnussen was an uninspiring choice for the Haas seat. <laughs> I'll start off by saying that. <laughs> yes, I did say that two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, what do I know? Um, but on a serious note, yes, um, Ferrari, big statement from Ferrari. Big, big statement. Mm. Um, even after practice and qualifying, it looked like you know Red Bull were quickest probably by about two, three tenths. Um, obviously this was still before qualifying and engine modes etc but Ferrari looked like a clear second you thought you know they've improved they'll be championship contenders this year um, they did more than that they got pole uh, and with a bit of luck they've come out of here out of Bahrain with a 44 point lead over Red Bull and the constructors which is a good, decent healthy head start uh, couldn't really have asked for more really um, yeah they were rapid they were super speedy they had good long run pace I thought to myself possibly Red Bull might have the edge on long run pace they have tended to in the past um, over their main rivals at the front but Ferrari had that Sainz was a little bit off I thought he didn't have his best race um, but he still 
did what the, the best drivers do on their less good days, bring home solid points. He wasn't going to be a contender for the win, but he brought home second with a little bit of luck. Um, Leclerc, imperious, really. Uh, kind of showed showed why, you know, behind Hamilton, Verstappen, many consider him the third best driver on the grid. Um, he will be fighting for many championships and wins, not just this year, but down the line in his career, I'm convinced. He's still in 24, we can't forget. Um, still very young. Um, yeah, it was a brilliant performance from him. Pole, fastest lap, race win, almost got the grand slam if, he, if it wasn't for two laps in the pit stops changing over. Um, but yeah, I thought ominous from Ferrari. Red Bull will be back for sure. They got a quick car. They had a bit of issue with their powertrains and their fuel system, um, which caused the late retirements, but they'll be back. They're a fast car. They got the reigning world champion, so it cannot be ruled out at all. Um, but Ferrari had a very good start, it has to be said. And I think it's often said that for the health of Formula One, Ferrari needs to be in good health, in that they're a very popular team, they're a very historic team. So when they're doing well, Formula One is doing well. Um, and I think Formula One will get some very good press off the back of this weekend. And Ferrari for themselves, you can see that team has been through a couple of years of, especially 2020 down the doldrums. Last year was better and they got quite a few podiums, but you feel like they needed that. And they were brilliant all weekend. So, um, yeah, it's ominous really from Ferrari, I thought was the word to describe it. Ominous. Ferrari. Hmm. Those two words that I would attach together usually just to describe their strategy, <laughs> which I was wondering whether or not it was going to be letting them down uh, this year, um, because it's let them down so many times before this. At least we forget um, back when Vettel was in the uh, Ferrari back in 2020, for example, one of Ferrari's great strategy ideas was to leave him out for I think 18 laps on the soft tyres and 14 laps on the mediums, which um, was interesting to say the least. <laughs> Wrong way around, guys. Um, so I, I did pose the question before going into the race whether or not we thought Ferrari might um, be let down a little bit due to that strategy um, and sometimes Ferrari's inability to, to get things right, um, I think, is, is really the, the question, isn't it? But, well, they got it right. They got it bang on, and their pit stops were fast as well, relatively speaking. Um, it was interesting to see how, I think, there is definitely a noticeable difference in terms of the the just the sheer weight of the, the, the tyres. Um, we are having sort of two and a half second, three second, four second pit stops from teams. Um, this year compared to let's say last year when Red Bull were were cracking out 1.9 sort of second pit stops which was you know pretty darn fast um, so you know Ferrari definitely won out on the pit stops they got 2.5 um, second pit stop compared to Red Bull's three second pit stop which put Leclerc half a second ahead of of, of Max um, on top of what he was, you know, had anyway when he was in the lead, and I thought Ferrari did a good job of covering Red Bull when Red Bull were trying to um, do the undercut, which very nearly worked. We will come back to Red Bull and, and their problems, I think, um, later on in this episode. So do tune in for for that. But I would like, I think, to focus on on sort of how Ferrari played with Red Bull, really, because Leclerc definitely played Max and had him in his pocket. Um, 
but to, be, to I think to to really understand you know that the health of Ferrari and how much it means to Formula One, I think you've got to just see the spirits, the high spirits that everyone was in when Ferrari got that one two. Lewis Hamilton was smiling away on the stage, you know, congratulating Charles and Science, and everyone was sort of running around. Everyone was saying it's great to hear the Italian, you know. Um, national anthem i was gonna say theme song then <laughs> it's not it's not a theme song it's their national anthem tristan yeah so um it was great to hear the the, the national anthem being played and i'm sure we're gonna hear it much more than um uh, we did just on, on sunday i mean we got to hear the uh the monogasque national anthem which was a bit of a bop yeah followed by the italian one so yeah it was you know it was that was really great and of course Mattia bonotto said in the interview you know if he had listened to everyone saying how bad ferrari were he would have sacked everyone and then they wouldn't have got to where they were today and i think that's a real lesson that we can all draw right from from what ferrari have done in that if things really aren't going your way throwing your toys out the pram and saying well it can't be my fault it's got to be everyone else's fault perhaps that's not the best way to do it and ferrari have certainly picked themselves up they spent the time developing the car. They have a damn good-looking car, I must admit. Oh, it's so pretty. I was in awe of it, actually. I think it's a fantastic-looking car. Yeah. The fact it's fast is something else as well. It just adds to it. And I think they've done a brilliant job. I, I definitely think that we will be seeing more Ferrari wins this year. And, well, we'll find out, really, whether or not we might even have a Ferrari World Championship um, win, which would be crazy. I haven't seen one of those for a very long time. Tom, yeah, Ferrari, what oh, do you think? Ferrari are back. I mean, I know we did uh, bold predictions last episode, but I think if they can keep this form up, then they've got both championships yeah. sewn up. Um, because they were excellent. And when you think back to the entirety of the weekend, even going back to practice, did they ever mm-hmm. put a foot wrong? I mean, Leclerc spinning once... Is that, yeah. is that the only thing anyone can think of? Because they literally got everything right. As you said, quickest on pit stop. Strategy was very good. They were there to pounce when Red Bull had their issues. And they looked like a very balanced team as well. And I think this is one of the great advantages Ferrari have over Red Bull and to an extent Mercedes as well. It's not built around one person. It's not Team Max. It's not Team Hamilton. Of course, Leclerc is obviously the golden boy Ferrari, as we say, but there's not a clear hierarchy. I think either the drivers have the ability in terms of themselves and also how they do in terms of driving the car, how they adapt to it to go and win races. And that's why you saw uh, the one two there. I really wouldn't be surprised, as I say, if we see Ferrari start to pull away from you know, the likes of uh, Mercedes, for example, because although you go and see people saying, oh, you know, well, Mercedes had a fairly decent weekend. I mean, they did when you consider what we expected from them. We expected them to be fifth and sixth and to stay there and not be too competitive. Third and fourth is good. But as we saw from the looks on Russell and Hamilton and Toto Wolff's face, you know, they weren't happy with third and fourth place because while they were close to Ferrari in terms of the grid, the actual gap between them of quality was massive. And you think upgrades may come along in a few races' time, they could close the gap, sure, but the gap at the moment between 
themselves and Ferrari is massive. The reliability issues that Red Bull have is also of serious concern. There's not a weakness so far, and I understand it's only been one race, but we're yet to see a real weakness from this Ferrari team, which I think is so exciting because we've always seen it in practice and testing of them showing potential, aside from maybe 2020, that obviously an awful season there, but they've always had potential to go and be a good team and be great and be a serious contender again. But this is the first time, I think, since watching the sport way back in 2007 and eight, starting uh, with Formula 1, that I look at Ferrari now and I go... They're the bench setters, they're the ones to beat, they are setting the pace and they are pulling away. And I think that was fairly reflective as well with the other Ferrari teams. You look at Haas having a very good weekend, not only Kevin Magnussen in fifth, but also Mick Schumacher being unlucky uh, not to go and get points. Alfa Romeo will get onto them as well, but a double points finish since the first time since 2019. Um, I mean, compare that to example to the Mercedes teams, which were lacking at best. The Red Bull teams, which were unreliable at best, courtesy of Sonoda being the only one to actually finish the race. All things are going in the way of Ferrari, and um, I'd be kind of disappointed. It's a very bold claim. It's only round one. I'd be kind of disappointed if they didn't win one of the championships, which is, I suppose, a testament to how highly I think they've, uh, they've achieved so far and what they can do in the future. How translatable do you think this particular race is to compare it to the rest of the tracks during the season because we are certainly in the the desert portion right we we open in formula one and with the deserts um we go we have qatar we're going to to saudi arabia next and then we go to europe we go around europe and then we come back again later on in the year to uh, eventually abu dhabi but we're also looking at qatar seems like the uh, it was mentioned might be the the best bet to replace Russia fine (laughs) um yeah they could have had any other right they could have picked so many better tracks and they're uh, they're going for maybe going for Qatar I'm gonna be very disappointed but hey that's not sealed yet that's not a sealed deal anyway so just looking at last year okay do you remember out of the gate, we had a very, very similar scenario with Max Verstappen chasing down Lewis Hamilton and kind of tries to get into the lead, overtakes off the track and then has to give the, the place back to Lewis Hamilton. OK, and uh, this this year we had Max Verstappen chasing down Charles Leclerc and um, tries to complete it. And Leclerc just lets him pass right on this on the start finish straight. Let's. Verstappen passed, sits back, and then just takes the corner at the end of the start, finish straight nicely, gets him back on the DRS, and eventually Max would go on to to lose out the the win, and as it turns out, the entirety of second place, etc. But knowing what we know about the rest of the tracks in the season, we know that the Red Bull last year might have actually had the disadvantage in terms of the the raw pace um, on the... Uh, desert circuits because that's when Hamilton caught back up last year but definitely had the pace when we were looking at uh, circuits such as as Imola when Max came back and and beat uh, Lewis throughout the year actually um, and in in the European track so do you think this is translatable this win or you know could it be that what we've discovered about the Ferrari is it's very much like the Mercedes of last year in terms of its superb 
mm. uh, pace and and speed, but maybe it won't be as effective in the European circuit. You know, when you start going to places like Spa, perhaps. What do you think? I think power circuits are definitely Ferrari's friend and going into Saudi Arabia I feel they'll be pretty confident owing to the fact that it's very similar to Bahrain insofar there's lots of straights, there's very few corners, you know, a power circuit by definition. You would be concerned though after that going into Australia and um, uh, Imola as well because they're not so power circuit like, they're more twisty turny corners, there's more downforce required there so I feel that's where we're going to see April the 8th onwards is when we're going to really see if this Ferrari car is as bulletproof as it looked in testing. I mean, moving forwards, there's such a variety, isn't there, in terms of the tracks that uh, there there is an offer and the the strengths and weaknesses that has for various different teams. Moving moving forward into May as well, you may have um, Miami, for example, which is more power circuit esque, but then Spain and Monaco, obviously, have a very different uh, ilk, shall we say. So, I think we'll see soon, but. I conclude that looking at the next race, it may be more of the same, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's more of the same for the rest of the season. Moving on from that. I'm going to sit on the fence and say it's impossible to trace, simply because it's not impossible, it's very difficult, simply because we we don't know how upgrades will go throughout the year. We mm-hmm. saw last year Mercedes and Red Bull, yes, they had their strengths and weaknesses, but you had periods where, for example, after the first few races... Uh, Mercedes had that advantage. Then you went through the European rounds, like uh, like you said, Tristan. Places like well, not, I'm thinking earlier in the season, but places like Monaco, um, Austria, Baku, Paul Ricard. The Red Bull was superior. And then you got to later on in the season, around about Russia and Turkey, the Merck was on top again. Then the Red Bull kind of wrestled back the advantage. Um, a bit as well in places like well actually kind of in Turkey and then you got to Brazil and Abu Dhabi and uh, Qatar and places like that and the the Merck was back again so I think it's tricky to tell but I do think Bahrain like Barcelona used to be is a good circuit to work out the general performance of a car it's power circuit like Tom said it's got lots of long straights um, it's not got loads of fast corners but it's got lots of tight ones lots of, it, so it's good for showing the car's capability under braking and whether it's like two understeery or oversteery, it's slow and me- slow and medium speed. Um, so I'd say it's a good barometer for the rest of the season generally. Um, from last year's uh, race, if you look at the qualifying from last year, it was Verstappen on pole ahead of the Mercedes, then Perez a bit further back. Um, I think he dropped out of Q2 in that instance. Then you had Gasly with the McLarens and the Ferraris, and then Alpine, and then the rest. So, And that kind of was the order last year. So I think it's a good barometer. I think it's not completely the barometer we want to look at, but it does tell us a lot, I feel. Um, And I think it can tell us things such as Ferrari will be fast this year, Red Bull will be be there and thereabouts, Mercedes will will be up there as well. Even though they were off the pace, even though they were off the pace, but at the same time, it comes down to upgrades. We could get to mid-season, and Mercedes have sorted out their their cooling, their porpoising issues. It could be that Red Bull have sorted out their reliability issues. Um, it could be the Ferrari have discovered something which is a reliability issue. It's difficult to tell, but I'd say on first impression, we can say that not that the order's set, but we can say we have definite clues. Um, but I, it doesn't set in stone the rest of the year. I guess. Before we move then to um, discussing uh, Red Bull and <laughs> I suppose their their how they were up there and their disasters, I I have, I have one last question really, which is if it is a two horse race, 
See what I did there? Um, <laughs> and if it is Ferrari versus Ferrari, mm. will we have Sainz versus Leclerc or will it be Leclerc or Sainz pulling away? Because I think on paper, and this is just my opinion, Leclerc has it, but Leclerc can be untidy in his racing style and he has made mistakes before that have lost him out on on you know good positions he has also mm. been very unlucky that's the other thing to, to say uh he you know him and max um are, shall be bonded now because they both lost the bahrain grand prix um because of reliability issues before so this was i suppose leclerc's redemption but Leclerc can be untidy, and I think science has that uh, sustainability of, of good performance, um, which means that maybe he gets second place, but the winner, the most wins, doesn't necessarily make you the world championship. Sometimes it's consistency that does. So I would really like to see it, you know, science versus Leclerc, but what do we think? Do you think, like me, it's going to be close between them, or do you think we're going to have a runaway winner? And this is a very early prediction, so mm. you don't, you know, this you don't you won't be held to account, but just you know, gut feeling. What what do we say? I would say, I, I was about to compare it to Hamilton and Rosberg, with Leclerc and Hamilton being the sort of the golden boys of the team. Golden boy, the man's twenty four, but the golden the golden <laughs> men of the team, uh, with Science and Rosberg being the uber consistent, um, like grafter who could uh, turn in that consistency and come out on top, but. I don't think that's a viable scenario because Red Bull's a genuine contender and Mercedes will be soon enough as well. So I think that... I don't know, because history tells us last year you couldn't separate those two, or at least Leclerc had a slight advantage with quality pace, but Science had a like a more consistent base for, of results. He did, yeah. But mm. I'd say you often get, I, fi- I feel, and I find that the driver who has the more un- the greater underlying pace is is when it comes down to when the cards are down when the chips are down when it's the big scenarios they're able to come out on top verstappen in his early years at red bull was slower than ricardo both on race pace and on quality pace but when there was more to play for when there was race victories he would come out with those stun- stunning drives every now and then whilst Ricardo was more more a model of consistency. I feel like Leclerc's got that more in his locker. Um, he's got those sparkling drives, like he did on Sunday. He was unstoppable on Sunday. I have not, not, not Last year, the way that Leclerc raced Verstappen on yesterday, not even Hamilton managed to do that last year. Leclerc was... And he said, he said after the race, he said, right, what I did is I let him part. I braked early enough in turn one so he could go past. If he goes too deep, then I switch back. But if he if he hits the corner, that's fine. I'll get DRS in the straps turn four. And he did what not many people do, which is he went round the outside of Verstappen at that turn four. I think that's a big statement doing that. My point being, Leclerc, I think, has got more more mercurial drives in him. And there's a saying which I remember um, being said about Grosjean in the past, which never really transpired, um, which is that you can make you can't make a consistent driver fast, but you can make a fast driver consistent. So. Of course, science is fast, but Leclerc being that mercurial driver, I think if they can turn... And he he has been consistent. He was consistently phenomenal in the year when Ferrari were terrible back in 2020. Um, So I feel like 
that's why that's kind of why I backed him as the sort of the Ferrari horse from with, with my prediction at the start of the year. So I feel like we could get that great fight between them, but I think that Leclerc would deliver if that was the case. But I still think Red Bull mm. and Mercedes have a big part to play. But I do think it's I just I do one. think it's just those top three teams. I mean, currently, I just can't see another team aside from Ferrari scoring a one-two in a race. Cause I, really? Because I, I just feel... I mean, I don't think Mercedes are going to be there for a few races. But when you look at uh, Red Bull, for example, the strategy is always tilted towards Verstappen. The car definitely is as well. And I, to be honest, I feel there's two better drivers than Perez with better equipment as well. And I feel that you're right in so far that it will be between if things are going to be transpiring as they are between Leclerc and, and Sainz for a while I don't think ultimately I think Verstappen will of course grow into it he's very talented and irrespective of the disaster uh, that happened in terms of the reliability he'll always be fighting for wins but I feel yeah. that as Angus says so eloquently Leclerc is box office and Sainz is consistent and it's one of those where Leclerc, we said, I said last episode, I didn't think he'd be competing for the championship because he's not had that recent experience of being in big fights. He was fighting with McLarens and occasionally getting poles on Saturday, but falling back because of the kit he had underneath him, essentially. But what we saw there was a very mature and experienced and calm and collected um, Charles Leclerc that we saw a few years ago when Ferrari were great back in 2019. I mean, the restart, for example, yeah, I can imagine it's very easy when you've got someone like Verstappen there, almost level with you on the restart, for him to get in your head type thing. It definitely happened with Lewis once or twice, regardless of whether he wants to admit it. But the way he engineered that restart and with the fights as well, picked the battles where he knew he's going to win and not, I feel that... Leclerc is the man to beat. And that's not no detraction from signs. I just feel that as his career has progressed, it's quite clear to see that um, the raw talent that was there from the karting days has seen him through and, it, and is there and is translating into into greatness. Signs I have an absolute respect for because he's always been the, the driver throughout Formula 1, which people don't really want. He's a bit of the mayor driver, wasn't he? To start with, with Renault, he'd do. And then he went to McLaren and there wasn't really much hoo-ha or celebration about that because he'd been dropped by Toro Rosso. So everyone thought, oh, hey, well, he can't be that good because Red Bull don't want him. But kept on plugging away, kept being consistent. But as Angus says, talent wins out and um, Leclerc is the man currently. Whether that will translate for the rest of the season is something else. But he's certainly set the pace in all regards. And on the other side of the coin there, Red Bull, it was all going so well for Max Verstappen and as well for Sergio Perez. Both were in the position to get themselves onto the podium and then unfortunately not only were there steering issues for Verstappen which apparently were unrelated to the power issues but not only did we see both Red Bulls fail in terms of their engine but also uh, the uh, Red Bull powered Pierre Gasly also had issues as well uh, had a power failure, his car overheated and he was unable to finish the race as well. What do we make then? It's only uh, one race in but what do we make of the situation regarding the Red Bull powered cars and reliability issues again that we haven't seen really since 2018 when it comes to this team. Well, I, it's this is going to be really tricky because this is peak new regulation problems for teams and for seasoned Formula One viewers, it's to be expected. Uh, uh, new regulations and rules cause problems all the time and we're going to have these weird moments. 
and it's not uh it's not unique to any one team either i mean renault had problems where their engines caught fire and died and that's part of the reason why red bull ended up leaving um red renault uh even mercedes had problems i mean never you know i remember when um hamilton's engine overheated and died uh you know back when the, the there was the new v6 power units it happens to all teams and the reasoning why red bull's uh engines died was not related it looks like to why pierre gasly's um red bull powered alpha tauri died so let's set the alpha tauri aside for a bit because i don't think it's related um max verstappen's steering broke it looks like because when the um when the car was dropped when they changed his tires they lift the car up and then they drop it back down again it looked like it, it damaged one of the um the torque bars or one of the steering um bars so that he couldn't really turn it very well and that's why it it, it um broke and so um he thought he had a puncture i believe he said i've got a puncture and they said no is you know is it wrong when you steer it both sides and he was like yeah then uh, you know proper <laughs> problem then eh um so he was having some real problems bear in mind though he he couldn't steer the car but he was setting purple sectors so i think that tells you everything you need to know about max verstappen's um performance really because I do think we should note, because it, it, it seems to be overlooked, really, um, listening to lots of people's commentary, that Max Verstappen did an absolutely brilliant job of chasing down Leclerc and hanging on to the back of that Ferrari. Uh, Leclerc and Max were pulling away from the pack. Mercedes were in no man's land. You know, Sainz and Perez were you know, not actually that close either, and they were in the other, you know, two fast cars, Max and Leclerc were absolutely smashing it away, and, and Max was doing it with, a with you know, perhaps running on, you know, three cylinders, uh, so to speak, you know, not running at, at full power. So I think he did a fantastic job of um, just, you know, racing um, Leclerc, keeping it clean, keeping it competitive, and yeah, he locked up and ruined his tyres a bit and had some tyre problems as well. But, you know, I do think it was a great race from Max. And I think he should have his you know head held up high, even if it didn't go his way. Um, it, so one of the theories about why the Red Bull engine died on both of them is to do with the fuel pump. I've also heard that this might not be true. But given that we don't know why yet, I'm sure you listeners will hear the actual reason um, in the in the coming days. But here is the best guess we've got so far. Um, the cars ran out of fuel. Why they ran out of fuel is, um, is more tricky. Some su- suspect it's because of the fuel pump. The fuel pump is a standardised part um, now for all teams, which means all teams get given the same fuel pump. And the fuel pump looks to be a bit rubbish. The E10 fuel, which means it has 10% ethanol, looks to be causing problems with the pump. Um, The pump casing is apparently very, very fragile to the point where in Park Ferme conditions, the teams actually have a memo on how to deal with fuel pump problems because it's such a problem child for them. Um, But one of the suspicions is the pump basically couldn't collect the fuel at the bottom of the tank, which meant that it it 
stopped being able to fuel the car, which means that the car died. I mean, McLaren had problems as well during um, during testing, which is probably why they were so slow. I can't think of any other reason. Um, <laughs> um, so it looks like Red Bull didn't test the, the low fuel um, in testing. And so, yeah, maybe a fuel calculation error and it just ran out of fuel and it died on both cars which is such a shame because they needed 57 laps because of the uh um the formation lap and they got and Paris got 56 which is so savage oh man that's so unfortunate for him so yeah it looks like they ran out of fuel I'm sure we'll find out in the coming days actually why it ran out of fuel but I think there is one thing we can definitely take, or one thing I'm definitely taking, is that Max is fast in this new Red Bull. He was keeping up with Charles. I, you know, Charles's tactic to let Max pass works definitely in Bahrain, where you have that double DRS on the power circuit. But that's not going to apply to every single track. And, you know, that definitely being able to manipulate his situation there might not translate in going forward. But I think this is definitely fixable. I think Red Bull are going to be coming back strong. And that's what we'd like to see because we don't want one, two finishes throughout the season. Because that just implies that there's a really, really dominant car. We're sick and tired of it with Mercedes. I like the fact that we had one, one, two finish last year, which was McLaren, glorious McLaren, when they were actually <laughs> fast. And uh, this year, um, you know, I'd like to see only a couple of one, two finishes, please. Um, yeah, but on the bright side... Um, if you wanted a clickbait title, um, we came up with one, which is uh, McLaren beat Red Bull in dramatic uh, season opener. Um, <laughs> yes. Atifi was faster as well. He was indeed. <laughs> yeah. Facts. <clears throat> yes, the first race for the the RBPT, Red Bull Powertrains, did not turn out well. Um, interesting to note about the f- fuel system problem. I never thought that Bahrain was a track which was particularly um, tough on fuel conservation or fuel economy, um, but it did turn out to be the case for Perez and Verstappen. It was a bit of a weird one because, like you said, Verstappen's like car, he was complaining about steering problems um, and he thought he had a puncture. And then he said he was losing power and everything was going wrong and then it was in the end of fuel system he kind of just he just ground to a halt he started getting slower and signs got past him then he just ground to a halt very quickly um not the ideal start for a reigning champion there's probably a stat somewhere about reigning champions who started the following race of the next season first race of their defending season with a retirement but that's for, I'm that's sure Crofty will tell it to us next yeah, uh, that's next for week or something it will come up <laughs> yeah definitely um but yeah i mean and then Perez on the last lap, the first corner. It's such a weird one because it looked like just the way he spun round. You you do you ha, you do see sometimes an engine conks out and then the car kind of just like drops oil and the rear wheels spin on the oil and then it just spins to a halt with smoke and everything coming out of it. Um, but and that kind of explains Perez's thing. But it did look like at first that Hamilton had like tipped him round because Hamilton was oh, closing in. Um. Uh, yeah, Crofty thought that definitely as well. Um, oh yeah, I thought it as well. <laughs> yeah, it it looked like Hamilton just bro- uh, outbraked himself in a Merc which had had problems with underbraking his turn one, and he just clipped the back of Perez, and then Perez couldn't get going, and he realised, oh, this might actually be reliability. Um, but yeah, a very surreal start for Red Bull. Um, they had well, they had quite. I feel like they had a couple of experiences last year of zero points, but definitely at Silverstone. Um. And then again at Hungary, I think, when obviously Verstappen got crashed into and then Perez as well. Um, mm. 
so yeah, another experience for them of getting zero points from a race. But yeah, not an ideal start for them. But they will be back. Um, their their car is fast. It got pipped in qualifying, but their car is indeed fast. They've got Max Verstappen is is generational. If Leclerc is box office, then Verstappen is generational. I mean, he's twenty four and he's won twenty races already. It's ridiculous. So he'll win many more. And that car, once they sort out those problems, which I'm sure they will, um, we'll be right back in the thick of the action. But if the if we got to Saudi Arabia and we saw similar problems, Saudi Arabia power circuit, lots of time spent at full throttle. Um, you'd think that would that would uh, be a track which would put, obviously would test the engine, uh, test the power unit, test the Red Bull powertrain. So if they came out of that with a retirement, or even even one of the t- even one of the four cars, the Alpha Tauris, if one of them had run into trouble, they'd have some some questions to answer and some long looks in the mirror before before they went to uh, Australia in what is it mid April, I think, three weeks after Saudi. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to think that they would manage to sort it out. But it'll be very interesting to see what transpires this time when we speak about it this time next week. Yeah, and despite being the sort of Ferrari hype merchant in chief as I have been so far, there are a lot of positives to take from Red uh, for Red Bull, despite neither of them actually finishing the race. And of course, when you look at it on paper, that's not a great look because when you see one team being so consistent and you know very much your your rival for the season, it would seem for the first few races at least, getting all the points and you getting none. That does sort of sit on a bit of a downer, and when they don't know what the problem is, that sort of raises questions as well, and the uncertainty is not great. But I think one of the good things to take from this, if you're Red Bull, is that um, Perez looked rather good in terms of qualifying. He was very much up there. That had been an issue previously, hadn't it, in terms of he'd perhaps not have a great qualifying, get in the top 10 just about, but not be with and around Verstappen and have to climb up through the leaderboard. It looked great by the end, but he didn't start well, shall we say, on the Saturday. Well, that all changed because he was remarkably close to, to Carlos Sainz, who had a very good um, session himself and indeed race. And as well, during the race, he looked very good as well. He battled with Hamilton. He overtook him one or two times. He was up and around the Ferraris as well, providing that wingman role that he was meant to do last season. So it just shows the power, I guess, of a season in terms of making a driver comfortable with a new setup, which he seems to be as well. And the fact as well that he had the issue that was out of his control, but he was in third place, is another positive to take because... There was no reason, or no reason, uh, we're looking at Perez himself, why he shouldn't have finished that race in third place. Now, third place, I believe, looking in the first season, uh, first uh, race of the season, is obviously a remarkable achievement, particularly when you consider how consistent the Ferraris have been. Once again, though, yeah, we we looking forwards, it's important for Red Bull to get to get to grips with this quick and um, as Angus says, be at uh, Saudi Arabia and be ready to race and compete as they had been doing uh, for the majority of the the first uh, the first race but um, the danger is if we have the issue again, you see Ferrari being consistent again, the, the gap then becomes even bigger uh, between the two of you and um, the task becomes even bigger as well moving forwards. I realise it would only be two races into a very long season, but as Mercedes will tell you, it's about a results-based business, isn't it? And if you're scoring points when others aren't, 
that's the only thing people will remember in a year's time or year's two time versus, oh, you know, remember that team? They had a lot of potential. Shame about the engine and the uh, reliability issues, etc. Um, so, yes, that's the concern, really, for, for Red Bull. But despite their woes, it was Mercedes who we heard so much, didn't we, in terms of testing about them having reliability issues and them not being fast enough and it wasn't looking great and they wouldn't get on the podium, they'd be nowhere near the other two. And despite a very average qualifying session of 5th and ninth for Lewis Hamilton and, and Russell, getting 3rd and 4th, jammy, jammy team, but credit to them, really. Discussing Mercedes is going to be really difficult because on one hand, they got a podium and... Hamilton, you know, got on on the third step, and that's all that matters. On the other hand, lining up next to, um, you know, Mr. Bottas, you know, looking at the Mercedes, thinking, I'm not that far away. <laughs> Look at that. Look at me. I'm not that far away from Mercedes. Um, and Haas as well. Um, so, yeah. and we will talk about Haas wow. in a, in a minute. But Mercedes. Mm, They've not made the best start, I think. is It's safe to say that the Mercedes power unit cars are looking a little off the pace. We've got Mercedes, who got sixth, you know, and looked to be in about sixth. And that looks like the, you know, about where they are in terms of their pace. You've got Williams, Aston Martin, and my favourite team, McLaren, scrabbling at the back which is not where they want to be. And M- M- McLaren came in last, which is just desperately, desperately sad. As a massive McLaren fan, that was incredibly disappointing. To say that, you know, that it was a an understatement when Zach said, and I'm quoting here, we are going to be vulnerable this year. Vulnerable? They <laughs> weren't even in a position to be vulnerable. They were behind... Um, everyone well that's not true it's not quite true they were 19th um but let's face it they're not vulnerable this year they are massively off the pace and they're gonna have to do some real work to get up to the pace and we'll, well we'll find out really what they can do hopefully upgrades and stuff will come but the problem is you've got this cost cap now so anyway and i'm all for the cost cap by the way but you know um, it'd be nice if they they could uh, do it but we have a cost cap now so you can't just submit more and more money um, for the car and you can't bring more and more upgrades throughout the year you have to be careful with how you use it so there is only going to be a point in which McLaren can get to there's going to be a point in which Aston Martin can get to although Aston Martin are basically redeveloping a lot large portions of the car mm. um, so we've heard and Mercedes the no pods mm, not working for them what well what can we say it looks like the car was oversteering um, which means that Hamilton or George Russell was turning and the car just doesn't turn. It keeps going in a straight line as opposed to oversteering where the rear of the car starts coming out from un- and you start you know, drifting, for example, is controlled oversteer. Um, but the, the cars just weren't turning properly. They just didn't have the pace the um, because the engines, you know, Hamilton and Russell um, in Q3, I noticed that they had dropped the cars down to basically the lowest point they could to get maximum suction from that big floor. And they're just porpoising, which is slowing them down. They're losing downforce. They are, they're not great. And so third place, 
they were lucky to get it because in front of Hamilton in that last lap was Perez and Hamilton was not getting past Perez mm. on the start finish straight, which means it, the, I, I think Perez had it, to be honest. I, mm. You might disagree with me, but I believe it was Perez's third place to lose. And unfortunately, the team lost it for him from one way or another from reliability no, problems. No, so Mercedes, how much, how much can they throw at the car to improve it? To be honest... I think for every, you know, they're not going to be the only ones moving forward. Red Bull are going to bring, be bringing in upgrades. You can be sure of that. Ferrari are going to be bringing in upgrades. You can be sure of that. So, yes, they got third. And I definitely think Hamilton and Russell have the ability to get onto the podium selectively. But I think sixth is about where the car is. George Russell qualified in ninth. You know, he was out-qualified by Haas. He was out-qualified by Bottas. Bottas in the <laughs> Alfa Romeo. You know, the Ferrari power unit definitely has an advantage this year. And I I don't see Mercedes being in the title fight. Um, weirdly, if you want a quick stat for you, um, Hamilton is leading Verstappen on more points than he did at any point in uh, last season. Oh, so. Wow. Uh, that's how yeah that's how topsy-turvy this season is but yeah i just i think mercedes have got a lot of work to do and it's it's a bit of a shame really because poor poor george russell was banking on getting into a, a mercedes and and you know being a front runner and unfortunately he's qualified in ninth well that's where he qualified in the williams um <laughs> last year in certain places he, you know, bear in mind he qualified second in in spa thanks to the wet weather but you know he's still qualified in better places than he has so far you know only one race in all that but hey um then you know he had uh last year so yeah a lot of work to do there. Yeah, Mercedes remind me very much of when they came back into the sport in the sort of 2010s, 2012s. They were near-ish the podium spots, weren't they? They were ready to pounce if there was an issue. But if we're looking at raw pace and looking at out-and-out ability, as you say, they were in a league of their own, sure, but third-place league of their own, which is obviously not ideal for a team which uh, is so obviously addicted to winning and sees second place as failure and obviously is still wrangled by what they see, perceive as the injustice of Abu Dhabi and the like, despite winning the Constructors. It's important to point out that Russell, despite having a not-so-great qualifying, he missed the uh, final apex, I believe, that's why he was down in ninth, but he's able to uh, to pull the car up and to be there with Lewis and to to be even with him and to not be a distant teammate which is always great to see because we saw of course when Bottas first came in to that Mercedes car it took him a few races before he was up to Hamilton speed granted Russell has had experience of course at Bahrain funnily enough where he came so close to that win and then there was his own issues but um, good to see that's a positive I think in terms of Mercedes you're now seeing a very equal footing I believe in ability and uh, the the um the ability to get the good stuff out of the car of what of a little that there is. Um, but yes, in terms of raw pace, it's not great. The only positive to take is there were issues. There was a chance for Mercedes to go and grab themselves maximum points, and they were there or thereabouts. So, as I say, that's the positive to take. But as you say, Tristan, in terms of the actual ability, it's a far downgrade from what we saw last year. Yeah, it was... Um, I think with Mercedes... The thing is, because when something in life gives you such consistent, like, consistently high expectations, you're then inevitably disappointed when it drops its standards by a bit. 
Um, and that's what we're getting with Mercedes at the moment. After eight years of consecutive constructors' titles and lots of dominance in many, many races and teams not being able to lay a glove on them, we finally got teams laying gloves all over them. Um, whether that's partly due to their own design by the the spending lots of time on last year trying to develop to get Hamilton that eighth championship and that's now led to a shortfall in this year's performance. Although you could say that hasn't affected Red Bull as much, um, who are gunning for Verstappen's championship. Um, whether that's a factor, who knows, only time will tell. Uh, but if there's one team I think that can catch up in the development race, it is Mercedes. Um, they have a relentless nature. Their, high, their standards are very high, set from the top by Toto Wolff and Lewis Hamilton. Um, and that kind of filters down to the rest of the team. Uh, but you're right, it was an inconspicuously quiet start for them if you look at the stats for qualifying Hamilton 7 tenths off pole, uh, Russell 1.7 seconds off pole admittedly he made that big mistake at turn 1 but still a big mistake um, Valtteri Bottas chuckling to himself as he turns back and looks two rows behind to see the man who replaced him uh, behind <laughs> him on the grid um, whilst he lines up alongside his former teammate um, brilliant I know, mm-hmm. I know. It's the it's, life's brilliant sometimes. Um, but yeah, Russell recovered well, like you said, uh, fought his way through, had a good start actually, which interesting wasn't something he did often in the Williams last year. He had a good start in the race. I think he made up at least two, possibly three places on the opening lap, so that was key to him um, getting back into the thick of things. Um, and I thought he performed respectably well generally across the weekend. Uh, had decent pace. Qualifying obviously was a bit of a, a fess up, but generally had decent pace in the race as well wasn't running too badly um, but the Mercs looked a very distant fifth and sixth they did look it reminded me a bit of Red Bull a few years ago when when it was Hamilton versus Vettel and Ferrari and Mercedes were kind of up at the front and then you had the Red Bulls just like in fifth and sixth just tottering along too fast for the Hasses and the McLarens and the Alp and the Renaults and the Force Indias of the world but too slow to keep up consistently with the top two teams. Mercedes were kind of like that yesterday. Um, it was a weird. It was a weird one. I was saying in our group chat during the race. It's the first time, other than like the odd race a few years ago, first time in a very long time that Mercedes were not in the conversation for victory at all with at least one of their drivers, which felt surreal, really. Um, but they've got the best team in the business. They've got arguably the best driver in the business so if there's anyone who can fight back to the front it's them i feel like this whole podcast has been my contribution to me saying right ferrari are fast but if anyone can get back <laughs> it's these two if anyone can return can fight back it's red bull and mercedes but it genuinely like like it does feel like that so i've like the season's very long 23 races wouldn't rule them out but they need to, i mean saying that if they develop fast Ferrari could develop as fast so mm-hmm. I'd say for them it's best if they catch up ASAP a question to the both of you do you guys mm. think that Mercedes can win either of the championships this year I don't think so uh, as I said I, I, I think the where where Hamilton qualified the car was probably at its, at its best and bear in mind this was a power circuit so that I mean that's extracting as much pace as you can uh, it's really tricky because Mercedes were in no man's land. I know you said that Russell had a good start and they sort of fought their way back in, but the car was in no man's land until the 
AlphaTauri decided to start trying to barbecue its driver. <laughs> um, and if you look at the timing, you'll see that Hamilton was about 30 seconds off the lead uh, about halfway through the race. Mm. The man was, was nowhere to be found. Um, and they tried to put him onto hard tyres and that those just... Well, Toto described the hard tyres as pushing your hand down the toilet. I, I, <laughs> I think that's a, a phrase that might work in Austrian, but it, it, it I don't really know what that means. Um, but, you know, it, I think what he means by that, I'm assuming, is it was rubbish. Um, or cold and slow. I uh, Who knows? But it just didn't work. It didn't work for him. And, you know, Russell was able to get through from ninth, which we kind of expected him to be able to. But again, he was on the hard tyres for a while, kind of in no man's land. He had managed to get enough distance behind both of them, enough distance behind them that they could have another pit stop to, well, Hamilton at least could get off those hards onto the mediums again. But it was thanks to the safety car at the end that the Mercedes were brought back into play. I mean, depending on what was wrong with the, the Red Bull car, if we had been at full race pace, then if it was a time failure, you know, because the cars were out there for longer than they should have been, then, well, that would have been two cars in front of Hamilton, which means he would have been in fifth place. And Russell would have been sort of seventh, eighth, you know, it's sort of no man's land as well because he would have had to pit to get off those hard tyres if, if given that what we know about how the Mercedes are performing on them. So I think Mercedes were saved actually this race, certainly by that safety car. So uh, I suppose Pierre Gasly and uh, the Avatari team will be getting a, <laughs> a thank you card from Toto in the post um, very soon. But yeah, I, I don't think they're, they're in it to win it. But then saying that, if you cast your mind back to 2019 when Vettel won the opening rounds in his Ferrari and Mercedes were able to claw it back. So it, it's definitely possible. But if anyone's going to do it, I think it's going to be Red Bull. I don't think Mercedes are on it this year. I, ju I think they've gone perhaps the wrong way on mm. the development, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, Angus says if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be them. So, yeah, that is definitely true. I mean, the gulf is massive, isn't it, currently, between themselves, Ferrari definitely, and then also Red Bull. I mean, they're closer, I'd argue, to Haas and Alfa Romeo. I mean, definitely, when you look at the uh, the timesheets at the end, you've got Magnussen, who's roughly three seconds away from Russell. You've then got Bottas, his former teammate, and then Alfa Romeo, roughly five seconds away. They're closer to the midfield pack, I'd argue, than they are to the top two. They're the best of the midfield pack in a league of their own, sure, but there's a danger they could be sucked back, I think, if you see the upgrades coming in for Ferrari and Red Bull. Because, yes, of course, Mercedes will improve, but everyone else isn't going to stand still, are they? And when the gap is already this big and you've got the power and the expertise of someone like Ferrari and also of Red Bull as well, who are well-seasoned in uh, a, a gruelling fight, shall we say, to the end, they've got a tall order on their hands, a real tall order. And I do, I do worry for them. I think because of how well they've done, there's almost this illusion they will come back. It's no guarantee, I think, by any stretch of the imagination. And if Red Bull hadn't have had their issues, we wouldn't be saying, oh jammy old uh, Mercedes, how well have they done a podium? That's quite respectable. Yeah. We'd be going, I know, trouble, because exactly. because that's the reality of it, really. But um, I suppose Saudi Arabia will shine some more light on whether that is truth or, um, or not so much. To answer your question, Tom, 
they got to get their act together proper quick. Um, they've got probably, honestly, I mean, I know it's a long season, but give them five, six races, and if they're not fighting for victories, you've got to be thinking, you know, they're going to struggle to get get back into the fight. I reckon always the barometer for how cars are doing and how their upgrades are going is, is uh, Barcelona. And that comes round six, 22nd of May, will be two months into the season. If they're up the front then, then you could say they bring it back. But if they're still third fastest car, then you probably have to exclude them from the championship fight that early. But only time will tell. Only time will tell. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I would think that all the other cars are going to be moving as well. So hmm. given the, the race pace from Alfa Romeo, which was only a, a third of a second, you know, three tenths of a second off the pace of the Mercedes, which is a crazy thing to say. <laughs> but, you know, Alfa Romeo, is there three tenths in that car? Oh, that could well be. So I, I think I think it's going to definitely be a case of we're going to find out who's got the best starting package. And that's another real you know, question we can dive into later on in the season, because it could well be that Ferrari's maximum pace is what they've got out from this and, and Mercedes know that they can develop it. And that's one of the things you have to consider as a team. What they've got now is the base package. What they can then go and do from this is a, is another is another matter. And it's it's just so unfortunate that we're running out of time in this in this episode because there is so many other things that we can we'd love to talk about. Um, and it's a shame that you know we haven't gone to Haas just yet. So I'm sure we'll be able to get back onto them um, in the next race when fingers crossed they they do you know adjust as well. But I think certainly one of the things I'd like to to say is well done FIA for making the cars followable for finally you know after all this time it looks like that particular package of of changes has has come into effect to allow the drivers to be able to follow one another effectively so we're looking pretty good i think for this season and i personally can't wait for for jeddah although you know i guess hopefully it'll be slightly less crashy than it was last time Absolutely, and after those rule changes being delayed by a year, I feel the anticipation for them was greater than they perhaps should have been, but they've definitely delivered so far, but as you say, only round one. Absolutely, and also as well, you know, in terms of Haas and Alfa Romeo, I realise we're running out of time, but huge plaudits to them, congratulations, but looking further down the pack, not looking too great for McLaren, Williams and Aston Martin for that matter as well, when you consider that one Alpha Tauri car finished and they are still above both Aston Martins, Williams and McLaren. Uh, so alarm bells are ringing, albeit round one we're in and going on to round two. And so ends another episode of F1 in Review and indeed an hour where we've looked back at round one of the 2022 season Bahrain. What a first race and curtain raiser it was for this season where the regulations have been put in place and designed to uh, create a more level playing field and equal racing. So far as we say it's definitely ticked all those boxes. Now moving forwards, you won't have to wait too long before round two. We're going to Saudi Arabia. Uh, qualifying will be starting at 5pm on Saturday and the race at 6pm on Sunday. Thank you very much for tuning in as well. If you're listening live on River Radio or via the Listen Back feature or whether you're tuning in via your preferred podcast provider, your Apple, your Spotify, your Podfollows, you know how it is. 
Do give us a follow, of course, on F1 Review on Twitter as well, where these episodes are put up uh, when they're published via Podfollow. And do, of course, keep tuned to F1, all the news there, F2 and 3 as well. We'll very much be dissecting all of that, all the interesting points in the next episode, along with looking back at the last race that's just been. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.